I'd like for you to turn in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 3. And while you're turning, I'll, uh, I'll begin. We're actually going to be in two different places in Ezekiel today. Ezekiel chapter, it's pretty easy to remember too. Ezekiel chapter 3. And then again, Ezekiel chapter 33. Ten years ago, a little, a little more than ten years ago, on April the 20th, 2010, uh, a major disaster happened out in the Gulf of Mexico, what we now know as the Deepwater Horizon accident. You remember that? I think they made a movie about it. I have yet to see the movie. I understand it's actually pretty good. That thing caught fire, exploded. Eleven men died that day. It was an awful tragedy, and... This might come out in the movie. I, I, I didn't watch it. But what took a while to hit the news cycles was that it could have been prevented very easily. The rig operator, a man named Jimmy Harrell, had been warning the senior BP official. In fact, that morning, they had a heated argument in which they knew there was a leak and just to make it real simple, Jimmy, the rig operator, the guy that knows what he's doing to prevent catastrophe, he said, we have got to use the expensive solution to stop this leak or we're going to be in a world of hurt. And his boss said, no, use the, the cheap solution. Right. Well, you know the rest of the story. He, he did what he was told. And some people want to blame him for that. And maybe he does have blame. I don't know the ins and outs of a rig operator's authority. But it put everybody's life at risk, and 11 of them did die. In fact, the entire rig sank to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. Now, what do you think of the role that Jimmy Harrell, the rig operator, played? What was his role in this story? He warned his bosses about the consequences, right? If they didn't change course. I don't know about you, but in my opinion, he seems to be kind of guilt-free in this scenario. He said he, he, he saw the danger, he warned them of the danger, and they did not listen. In a very similar way, Jimmy Harrell was like a watchman on a city wall. We don't have watchmen on city walls today. The closest thing we have is like a tornado siren. Do we even have one here in Lakeview? When we lived in Oklahoma, there was a tornado siren. And if a tornado was spotted anywhere within a certain mile radius of where we lived, that tornado siren would go off. Same thing. We had one in Texas too, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. And, uh, you know, the whole point of that is if somebody sees one, they tell the person that runs the, the warning system and they flip a switch or something happens automatically. I'm not quite sure how that works. And then if you're outside playing or you're, you know, you're out at the park swinging, it's on you if you get sucked up by the tornado, right? <laughs> the siren went off. It warned you. And you did not listen. That's kind of like what Jimmy Harrell was. He, he, he saw the, 
impending doom. He, he saw the disaster about to happen. He warned him. And in so doing, he delivered himself from guilt, even though he did not stop the disaster. That's the key. You also are a watchman. I want to read this, these couple of verses. Look at verse 16 in chapter 3. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man. By the way, that is the first time in the book of Ezekiel that the phrase, the word of the Lord came to me, occurs. And that's significant because it occurs a lot. He says it over and over and over. Ezekiel received lots of words from God, and this is the first one that he got. This is what he says. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his way in order to save his life, that pit wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. I want to talk this morning about the watchman's call, the watchman's responsibility, and the watchman's accountability. And I don't want you to be confused about what this passage is not saying. That last part about the righteous person can be confusing. You might say, I thought all righteous people went to heaven. And, and that's true. That's true. A righteous person is one who has been made right by God. And that person is a person that has repented of their sins. They've believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as the book of Romans says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They are saved. They are what we would call today a Christian. We've been calling people Christians for 2,000 years now. You're saved. You are made righteous. Habakkuk 2 and Romans 1 says... Or Romans 2 says, the righteous shall live by faith. So when Ezekiel here is receiving this vision about the wicked man and the righteous man, he is talking not about saved and unsaved people. He's the, the immediate context for Ezekiel. And this is important because Ezekiel lived at a certain place in time, didn't he? Just like you live at a certain place in time. Ezekiel had an immediate context, and it was this. Jerusalem was about to fall. The year is about 5, probably 88 B.C., maybe 590 B.C. The inhabitants of Jerusalem don't know it yet, but Nebuchadnezzar is knocking on the door, and he's about to knock the door down. Not only that, he's going to destroy the temple, their whole way of life will be uprooted in spite of all the 
false prophets and false teachers that they had telling them, it's all going to be fine, it's all going to be okay. It's not always true, is it? God called Ezekiel to be a watchman. What was a watchman? Well, a watchman was a city employee. He was actually paid by the city. He wasn't just somebody, some fellow who happened to be walking on the wall. Hey, wait a minute. What's that out there? He was paid. It was his job to stand on the wall. And his one job was this, to warn the population. Now, he could warn them about a fire that he sees in the city. Remember back then, they didn't have social media. You had to get the word out quick. Or, you, or they didn't have fire. They didn't have fire trucks woo, coming in. You had to do everybody, all hands on deck, right? But his main job was to stand on the city wall and to look out of the city and await for who? An invading army. Now, in Ezekiel's immediate context, there was an invading army that was about to hit the horizon, the Babylonian army. And God's message to Ezekiel is the same message, really, that he gave to Jeremiah, the same message that they refused to believe. And it was this, you are about to be destroyed. Disaster is imminent. My wrath will be poured out. You will not be rescued. So you need to get right before it happens. And the message seems to be this. If you warn the wicked person who's living wickedly, uh, let's put this in context in Israel. Living wickedly would include worshiping idols, right? Oppressing the poor. Um, keeping, some, you know, if, you, if somebody uh, borrows money from you and you take their cloak as security, God said you've got to give it back before the nighttime or, or, or they'll be cold all night long. You've got to give it back. Take it back the next morning. Uh, being cruel. God says if you're living that way and you turn... And start living righteously. I will deliver you. You won't die in the coming invasion. But did most of the people heed that call? They did not. On the other hand, if a person was living right, but they were on the razor's edge, right? They could fall into wickedness or into righteousness. And they needed encouragement to continue living for God. Ezekiel's word was continue to live righteously because if you fall back, I'm going to take you right along with the wicked. So I don't want you to think that this is talking about losing your salvation or anything like that. Ezekiel had an immediate context that he needed to explain. The life and death were physical, not spiritual. But, and this is key, and this is where I think your mind probably immediately went when I read it. God did introduce a spiritual element to this call. Because the watchman was responsible to, record, uh, to warn two categories of people. Two categories. Who are they? Well, you know it. Wicked and righteous. The wicked... We're talking about a moral dimension here, a spiritual dimension. The wicked were supposed to turn from their wickedness, the righteousness to continue in righteousness. 
So the watchman, Ezekiel, and all watchmen of that day, but Ezekiel particularly, he had a call from God. Is that pretty clear? He says, I have called you, I have made you a watchman. Did Ezekiel really have much of a say in this? Not really. I guess he could have tried to disobey, but we saw what happened when Jonah tried to disobey too, right? It doesn't go very well for God's prophets when they try to run. He had a call. He had a responsibility primarily to give out warnings, but he was also going to be held accountable. There was accountability. Did you know that back in those days, the city employee, the person that we call the watchman who was on the city, if he failed to warn the city, he would be held as accountable as if he had caused their deaths himself. We see a little glimpse of this in the New Testament. When the Philippian jailer, remember the night that Paul and his companions are are miraculously, the chains fall off because of the earthquake that the angel provides. And of course, they all stay in their cells, but it's dark. And the jailer doesn't know. He thinks they're all gone. And he's about to fall on his sword. Why would he do that? Well, because he knew that these people who were going to be killed, he would be held accountable. And somebody's going to die. And if it's not the prisoners, it's going to be him. Well, the same principle applied to the watchman. If he was on the city wall and either he just saw the invading army and he didn't raise the battle cry, or if he fell asleep, or if he was, you know, there was a woman he wanted to go see and he just started fooling around instead of being on the wall where like he's supposed to be, or maybe he's playing Sudoku on his phone, who knows what he's doing? Looking at Facebook? They didn't have Facebook back then. Praise the Lord, they didn't have Facebook back then. But whatever he was doing, if he did not raise the cry and people died, guess who was held accountable? Guess who forfeited his life? He did. And this followed the law of retribution set up in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. You know, uh, I'm not going to go back and read it, but this is right after Noah and his family get off the ark, and God tells them, Whoever sheds blood, by his blood shall man be shed. Now, even though the watchman does not physically slit the throat, if somebody dies because he did not do his duty, he will be held accountable. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. (laughs) Tooth. Tooth for a tooth, life for a life. For Ezekiel, God was letting him know that if he failed to warn the wicked and the righteous, then they would die in their wickedness. When the Babylonians invaded. Because you see, God was going to save some of those people, wasn't he? He always leaves behind a remnant. Some people uh, that were spared. Now some of those people were good people and they were carried away captive. Ezekiel was carried away captive. Daniel was carried away captive. The three Hebrew boys were carried away captive. The ancestors of Esther, Mordecai, was carried away captive, but they were spared their lives, weren't they? And that was the message that God was giving to Ezekiel. God would hold him accountable for failing to tell them. Now, does this apply to you and me in any way? Are we watchmen? 
Or is this one of those passages that is so buried in antiquity that it can't possibly have any bearing on us? Well, I think that you are a watchman. I know that you are a watchman. The reason I know that is because, and I've been hammering this, if you haven't figured it out by now, this is at least one more message in my evangelism series. We're up to eight messages now. I did not know it would go on this long. But the Lord keeps giving me new messages, so I've got to preach it. The Lord, before he ascended back to heaven, he said, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, all authority has been given unto me. I was telling the kids the other night, uh, we were talking about John chapter 13 and about how Jesus washes the disciples' feet and what an act of humility that is because Jesus is the person that not only knows that every sparrow falls, and there's some, there's some critter out in, back in these woods dying right now, right? And he knows about that. There's a critter being born. He knows about that. When he, when he looks at a star that's 30 billion light years away and says, boom, it goes boom. All authority in heaven, that's space, and on earth, that's where we live, has been given to Jesus. And the last thing that he said before he left was, go and preach the gospel. Now that message does definitely apply to you and to me. You are a watchman. You have been called. You are on the city wall, as it were. Can you see the disaster that is coming toward each unsaved person? I've trusted that you can. There's a reason you got saved, and probably more than one reason, but one of the reasons that you got saved was because you do not want to spend eternity in hell. Is that fair to say? I know I've heard, I've heard people, preachers, say we should never try to scare people into hell. And I, I do understand what they mean. Fear alone is not a good enough motivator to do the right thing. <laughs> Just ask kids that know what they're going to get when they disobey. They go ahead and do it anyway, a lot of times. However, all I can tell you is my own personal testimony. And when I was a little bit younger than... Uh, well, no, I was about Mercy's age. I was a tad, you know what? I might have been right at Mercy's age. I got saved in August of 1980, I believe, and my birthday is in October. So I was two months from being six, and she's two months from being six. I was about Mercy's age right now, and we pray for her salvation almost every day because I know from experience you can get saved as young as she was. Do you know why I got saved? My father who was and still is a pastor, but he was my pastor at that time. I could not tell you what verse he used. It was a long time ago. But I know this. He must have preached about hell because I went home scared of hell. <laughs> and I was laying in my bunk. Uh, we, we lived in Birmingham, Alabama, and we lived in a basement, furnished basement, you know, my, bro my older brother and I. And... Uh, I just remember crying out to him, and he came down the stairs, and he led me to, to the Lord, and I got saved that night. You know, the book of Jude says that we save some 
pulling them out of the fire. It's okay to be scared of hell. It's a scary place. It's a scary prospect. And the reality is we can see it coming. You know people that will go to hell. I'm not talking about some theoretical one day. Yes, that's true. When they die one day. But that day could be today. That day could be tomorrow. When are we going to tell them? You have a responsibility. You have been called. And so you have a responsibility. Even if, let me ask you, let me give a, a put out a theoretical. Let's say you weren't the city watchman back in Ezekiel's day. You weren't paid by the city. Or maybe you were the city watchman. They didn't pay you. You were mad. You were getting, never got your paycheck. <laughs> You're just walking up on the city wall, enjoying the night air. And you see an invading army. You spoke, well, I'm not the city watchman. It's not my job. Would you say that? Nobody would say that. We would hold that person accountable even though it's not their job per se. Because as soon as you know of the coming disaster, it becomes your responsibility. You and I must warn the wicked to turn from his wickedness and we must warn the righteous to continue in righteousness. I don't understand all of the Bible, guys. I believe in eternal security. I believe that a person cannot lose their salvation, but I also know for a fact that there are warnings in the New Testament to the church about continuing in the faith. And I don't know how to square those two things, and I don't have to know how to square those two things. God knows how to square those two things. And I all I know is I'm, and we need to warn the righteous. Just continue in righteousness. Warn the wicked. Because you have been called. You have a responsibility. And here's the kicker. You will be held accountable. Paul says in Romans chapter 14 verse 10, We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, as I understand it, he says it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. As I understand it, and I believe this understanding is accurate, there will be two judgments at the end day. Okay? A judgment for the unrighteous, that is, those who are outside of Christ, those who have never repented and believed in the name of the Son of God, this will be the vast majority of humanity in this hand. They will stand before what is called the great white throne. God will judge them for one act, for one sin. Do you know what that sin is? Unbelief. And He will cast them headlong into the lake of fire. In the other hand is the judgment seat of Christ, what Paul calls here the judgment seat of Christ. And in this hand are the saved, those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. And even though we will not be judged eternally on the basis of our sins, it says we will be repaid. I don't know what that means, guys. <laughs> I haven't been to heaven and back. I don't know. I, don't you wish Paul would have just explained everything that that means? I know this. The prospect of being repaid by God for my good works is a very exciting thought. 
It's a wonderful thing. So the prospect of being repaid for my evil works should be equally disturbing. Will he hold us accountable for the people we did not tell? It is very possible. I would say it's probable. You know that God is appointed. You know sitting here that this is all true, right? You know it's true. God has called you and me to this. We need to get started. But that's the hard part, isn't it? Getting started can be intimidating, isn't it? Where do I begin? What I want to encourage you to do is start with one. You had a handout, an insert in your bulletin. In a few moments, the deacons, after I pray, are going to hand out something to everybody. Who's your one is a campaign. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> you won't find who's your one in the book of Luke or 1 Corinthians or anything like that. Who's your one is a campaign started several years ago by the North American Mission Board. And the idea is to get you to thinking about one person that you can focus your evangelistic energy on. It's a little bit daunting, right? When I say, you need to tell people about Christ. It's like, well, where do I begin, Pastor? <laughs> Who do I, do I just go around telling everybody? I remember hearing a story when I was a kid about this guy who lived in this little town and he would run every single morning. And he started, when he started running, he would wave to everybody that he passed by. He waved to this person. Maybe, maybe some of y'all remember this story. He would wave to this person. And finally, it got so, it kind of got famous where everybody knew when you see him running, he's going to wave at you. And so people would just line the streets and he would just start waving everybody, and it got to the point where he was just to run around doing like this. It was ridiculous. And he made it to the news because it was so stupid. And he, but he's, he, you know, he was a cheery guy. He was a cheerful fellow. You can't wave at everybody, though. <laughs> you can't. And you can't tell everybody about Christ, can you? That's why it's important that I tell the people that I know, and you tell the people that you know, and show on down the line. But even that's a little bit daunting. So here's what I want you to do. It's like what I tell people when it comes to Bible reading. Don't say, I'm gonna, I, have, I haven't read the Bible in 20 years. So starting tomorrow, I'm going to read an entire chapter every day. Wait a minute. Don't go crazy, boss. Your muscles ain't strong yet. Read a proverb, maybe. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to read through it two times. No, wait a minute. Start with one. Here's how you do it. This is a very easy step, and this is going to be on the handout later. Identify your one. This is somebody that you already know. I'm not talking about going to the trailer park over here and knocking on doors. Somebody that you already know. Somebody that you know or at least strongly suspect remains unconverted. If they do not turn from their wickedness, they will pay the price for eternity. In other words, somebody who needs to hear the warning, right? So you identify your one. The step two is easy, but it's simple, but it's hard. Let me put it that way. You pray. 
for your one. Every day, you pray for them. You pray for them as you would a loved one. Pray that God would meet their needs, that God would take care of them, but that also they would be saved. Step three, look for ways to be a blessing. I call it serve your one. You know, people are much more likely to believe that you love them if you love them. <laughs> serve your one. Look for ways to be a blessing. Fourthly, but not least importantly, tell your one. This may not be the only step, but it's a step you cannot skip. If you did the first three but did not do the last one, we failed because the army still stands at the gates. You warn them. What does that look like? Well, after you get to know them, you've prayed for them. The Lord is warming your heart towards them in a way that you've not felt in years. You feel concerned for their soul. And you just tell them, listen, brother, listen, sister. Can I talk with you about something that's super important to me? I mean, I'm worried about you. And there's something else I, wanna, I cannot leave out. John chapter 33 and verse 11. This is not all warning about doom and gloom, about just the disaster. In 33.11, God says, As I live declares, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. That's God's desire for every single human being and for every single person that needs to hear this warning. So you warn them, but you also tell them about this compassionate God, this God who will save them if they but turn. So one day when we are standing before the Lord, He's going to judge us based on our works, not to determine your salvation unless you're not saved, and then you're going to go to another throne but to determine your reward and to hold you accountable. You're a watchman standing, as it were, on the city wall, and you see the disaster coming on those who still live in rebellion against Christ. You do see it, don't you? Do you care? Do you care about them? Will you remain silent? Will you say nothing? Or will you speak up? I say we be a people who are resolved to speak up. We need to say something. If we don't, no one else will. The disaster will hit them. And they will go headlong into hell for eternity. Who will warn them to flee from the wrath to come? But the people who have already escaped from that wrath. Shall we pray?